Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our morning coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, I added the morning there to the coffee, changed up the intro a little bit. How are you feeling? 2023, new year, new us. I'm glad that you're doing something exciting for yourself. I, I need the excitement, so thank you for your appreciation. 100%. I'm here for you. And speaking of exciting things, we are here to kick off our very first blend of the month for January 2023. If you were with us last week, you heard us go through our top 10s of the year, but really our top 20 films of the year. Uh, Christian is still wearing a little bit of a scowl on his face from how long that episode was. We thank you for your production, Christian. You're It's up. You People are, can listen to it. They, they sure can. And I hope they have by this point because this is the, the episode coming out after it. <laughs> so I hope we've gotten a chance to get around to it. We're also coming off the Golden Globes. We're not really an awards podcast, but any, we talk any, about them. any quick thoughts on the Globes, Christian? Um, the Bear... Jeremy Allen White won for the bear, and I thought Shout we out can to Carmi. we can we can end the show right now. This is all I wanted. Michelle Yeoh won, which I thought great. Love that. Um, okay, okay. You know what? I'm just gonna say I'm I'm on the train. Austin Butler, take it. Just take it to the end. Austin Butler and that Elvis voice that has stuck to him ever since he shot that movie. <laughs> Ride that glory to the Oscars, baby. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny watching the Globes again. They obviously did not air a ceremony last year. They just gave out their awards via press release, partly due to the, the controversies surrounding the organization and, and who was a part of it and the kinds of movies they tended to award. But, you know, I, I think this was a pretty pretty good comeback for them as, as far as award shows that celebrate a bunch of rich and famous people can come back. It was uh, back to that sort of Hollywood party-ish vibe, I think. Gerard Carmichael as the host was consistently trying to <laughs> ruin everybody's fun. But I felt so awkward. I think, that, I think that was the point. I have a feeling he won't be invited back to host any award shows, but I don't think he's going to care about that. Hey, he got paid half a million. He, he sure did. He sure did get paid half a million. Good job for Gerard Carmichael. And now we do get to kick off the actual reason that we're here. Our first blend of the month. Christian, you were in charge, and you opted to select Nora Ephron and her Oscar-nominated screenplays. So why don't you go ahead and just intro the month for the folks listening along at home. So Nora Ephron has been nominated for three Academy Awards for Best Screenplay. And uh, she is someone who is a very prominent figure, has been a very influential figure. Um, what's the What's the best way to put it? Some refer to her as just the the queen of the modern rom-com. Now, she had a career before she was a director as a writer. We're going to be viewing two of those movies here, actually. Only one of these three did she direct. But to see who she was working with at, at, at different stages of her career, to see how exactly her style evolves, and to see where that takes us and how we view rom-coms today was was part of the intent and so I chose a movie that is incredibly difficult to find anywhere as I I don't really do that often I don't I don't think I do that often I I don't think so normally we try to pick things that are at least streaming and if not streaming easily rentable and Silkwood certainly is not rentable (laughs) currently I I was surprised by that we had to share the same library disc so thank thank, uh, excuse me thank you to the great Los Angeles uh, library system there but Silkwood, 
is let's just say Silkwood's not a rom com. No, it is not. Definitely not. It is a. It's like a. It's like a biopic thriller, because it's a biopic, but it's also. It doesn't act like a biopic. It's not examining different stages of 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 someone's of Silkwood's life. It's more so examining like a specific just flipping of the switch for her. Uh, it stars Meryl Streep. It stars Kurt Russell. It stars Cher. It was directed by Mike Nichols, who some people might know as directing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or The Graduate or The Birdcage or what, uh, Charlie Wilson's War. <laughs> His final film, I believe. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mike Nichols, The Graduate, very special movie to me. He's an icon in American cinema. So right now it's it's a uh, what's what's the this is this is a weird movie. Not that many people right now know of it or have seen it. It's funny because Silkwood it, it like feels like one of those important American movies. It got nominated for a bunch of Oscars, although it did miss out on Best Picture. And it's I mean obviously has Meryl Streep during her meteoric rise in Hollywood, directed by Mike Nichols, written by Nora Ephron, as well as Alice Arlen, who's the co-screenwriter here, and also about. An important moment in like American labor, and we've had a lot of great movies about you know sort of the the working class people rising up against their upper class bosses or you know managers, whatever you want to call them, who are making unwise choices <laughs> for them. And Silkwood is about a key part in this American history, and it happens right after the actual Silkwood passed away. Um, she was a very young person who died pretty tragically, and this movie is made a few short years after her death. So, definitely has that feeling of an important American movie, but it's hard to find right now. And I, I would say I agree with you that it's not like people in our generation or younger are really talking about this when they talk about Meryl Streep. When they talk about Meryl Streep, probably the first thing that comes to people's minds is. Mamma Mia or the Devil Horse Prada, <laughs> among other things that she's done. Sophie's choice. <laughs> yeah, maybe she made maybe the choice. choice. Yep. She. <laughs> uh, so, is it was good to get get around to this and actually check it out, even though we had to we have to the library to thank for it and can't rent it anywhere. I certainly hope it comes back somewhere at least to, to stream or something so people can check it out. I mean, it was released in Blu-ray in 2017. So if you want to go out. If your way, order that Blu-ray. Support, support Kino Lorber and, and collect your physical media. We would stand by you. So this is the 40th and, uh, 40th year anniversary of this movie. Came out in 83. Oh, look at that. It's 2023. What a time. Okay. I want to I just jump into this movie. Because this is a weird movie. This is, I, I did not expect this movie. Yeah, you, how, how much were you expecting a rom-com, Christian? I knew it wasn't a rom-com. Okay. That being said, I have seen Bewitched and When Harry Met Sally, and this is neither Bewitched nor When Harry Met Sally. Definitively not. No. <laughs> so, all right. I, I have your opening question. Are you ready for it? I, I, I sure am, Christian. All right. As we follow Meryl Streep's character, so Meryl Streep here is playing the titular uh, Karen Sulquid. She is a worker at a plutonium, uranium, plutonium plant? Plutonium. Plutonium plant, and uh, eventually joins the Union. That's, 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 that's her character. As we follow her, did you feel involved 
in the tensions that begin to envelop her life? Did you feel invested enough in her? Because the movie is very methodical in how it chooses to showcase the issues she begins to, and the paranoia she begins to experience. Were you able to care about her? I was definitely able to care about Karen Silkwood. And I think part of that is just the fact that she's played by Meryl Streep in the early 80s. Like I said, when she's on this, when she's very quickly climbing the Hollywood ladder. It's an unbelievable performance. And, of course, nominated by the Academy for her work. But the way that this movie is set up, it feels like they could have easily gone for a much schmaltzier version of the story and there's not a ton of of bells and whistles on silkwood uh it's not i did see one contemporary review describe it as a melodrama and i'm not sure if i would call it a melodrama and maybe it's because they just don't really peak emotionally very often there's very little screaming there's very little sobbing or crying it's it's very down maybe not, not down the middle but it's very emotionally even keeled for the most of the story and it's really about just what Karen actually did with the union and trying to fight back against Kerr McGee and the potential risks it was um, forcing its workers to take without their knowledge. And so I think that choice to structure the screenplay around, really around that labor fight and uh, involving us in her personal life a little bit, but not overwhelmingly so, really worked for me. What about you? No. No? I, 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 I didn't care about Karen. <laughs> Christian, how do you... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just don't know what to do when you say things like this. You didn't care about her. No, no. Oh, my goodness. I... It, it, it takes... So she's... All right. She is just like a regular, you know, plutonium worker. She's an average, average Joe. Um, this this plutonium plant has fallen behind on a a major contract. They keep saying they're like months behind on presenting something. Um, she has has been shown to like care for the people around her. She's been shown to like make sure if someone is is being shown to be contaminated that that. Like, did they give you the proper test? Were you actually given the, uh, were they actually treating you uh, the way that protocol dictates that they treat you? And I'm like, okay, cool. She's a kind person. Um, she then, like, goes to the union and ends up running a, a campaign to, to be elected into, is she's like the head of the union at this point, right? I, she's not the union head. There's, a, there's an older guy, I think his name is Quincy, who is the, the like, head honcho for the union at this particular plant. But she does join as, a, I guess, a union rep. And she is... She had to be elected, though, right? Yeah, she had yeah. to be elected. She was, yeah, she talks to her coworkers, tries to get them to, you know, give her comments about their working conditions. And that brings tension, of course. And she's flying to Washington, D.C. to go to these meetings. And she does become involved, but she's not necessarily the, the leader. And it just takes such a long time for paranoia to set in. Because this is, this is like a 2 hour and 15 minute movie. And I want to say that a good 45 minutes to an hour are us watching her go to labor unions 
to I don't know to union meetings. Her saying that she's like upset at something. Her slamming the door in Kurt Russell's face. Cher saying hi. Before we get to Joe Dolly. Before we get to any any plot in this film, and and in that methodical nature, I guess enough wasn't given to me at the beginning to to, to hold on to. Well, I mean, that's what confuses me when you say things like you didn't care about Karen Silkwood or there's nothing to hold on to, because the beginning of the movie is almost entirely about getting us to, you know, cinematically befriend Karen Silkwood. We see her... She's fine. We see her living at home with, with Kurt Russell. He's Drew, her boyfriend, and, and Dolly, who shares her, you know, her roommate. Uh, we see them driving to work together. We see the ways that she interacts with her co-workers... And we see her visit her children. She's divorced, and her husband lives with the kids back in Texas, but this plant is in Oklahoma. We get all of these little snapshots of her life, and sure, it's a little slow-moving, but I don't think that necessarily takes any of the beauty out of the movie. Because it once we get to the stage of the film where she is deep in, in, in the situation with the plant and her role in the union, and the paranoia starts to build, tensions start to rise, not just between her and the company, of course, but between her and her co-workers, her and Drew and Dolly. We're starting to see a lot of these things pay off. Well, you know, we see the way that she loves her co-workers, but then they're turning, giving her the cold shoulder later on in the movie, and, and those things don't land as impactfully if we don't have this build-up to, to the situation. That's, of course, inspired by real events, too. They're, they're trying as best as they can to adapt what actually happened. Okay, can I spoil this movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, like we said, a 40-year-old movie, although it is a bit hard to see. We definitely would encourage you to check it out. Maybe not so strongly from Christian, but if you don't want to be spoiled, pause it, go track it down from your local library, give it a watch, and then come back. If you don't care, we're going to just talk things through. Plus, it's based off of history, so you can look up the events if you want. All right, so she gets, her, her car gets rammed at the end and she gets killed. And they try to put off that it was something that she did or, or, or like a suicide attempt, something, something along those lines. But we actually do see a different car come up and attack her. Which is the only time in the entire movie where, to me, Karen is proven correct. Because during the stages of her paranoia, I will say I didn't believe in her paranoia. I thought by, by movie logic... Someone is probably poisoning her, putting this radiation near her, whatever. But when the company accuses her so often, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense that the company's accusing her. That makes sense that Drew doesn't want to be with her anymore. That makes sense that Dolly's upset at her. And it felt like the 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 paranoia that I saw, the 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 um Warning signs that someone is poisoning her, that someone is trying to do away with union efforts, that someone is trying to be anti them and put them in dangerous, precarious situations, didn't come through to me. I mean, I'm that actually just confuses me because we see the ways throughout the movie where the company is acting in a way that is dangerous to the workers and they're willing to it, it, turn which a blind is, eye. Which is dangerous to the workers, right. But I, I, I guess I wanted to see them actually poison her. I didn't just want to see her say that she got... I, I don't want her just, like, to show that she's had radiation on her. So you didn't want paranoia? You wanted just, like, a conventional... Like, I wanted a thriller? conventional thriller? I, I, I feel like this was missing part of the conventional thriller because it's so slow-paced. 
but first things first, this movie, again, is being made a few years after the real Karen Silkwood's death. And they can't put that in a movie or else it's going to be sued for libel. The company, like, Kerr McGee was actually sued by the Silkwood family. And they, they sought damages in her death. And ultimately, through, you know, trials and appeals and retrials and all that, they had to pay out a settlement, although they never admitted wrongdoing. So they're making the movie in the wake of this 1979 lawsuit. Then, then, then don't call them Care McGee and don't call her Silkwood, but it, it, it's, it's, but there's the, also very little score. Telling the, the story of a real American, arguably, hero. <laughs> okay, okay, you can't, you can't tell me that. You, 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 you cannot say that because something can be great and like a real-life American hero and not necessarily be dramatic to put on screen. And you That's, know that is true. That is absolutely a fair thing to say. And, and I, I guess in this particular moment, there's a lot, uh, a lot going on with labor in America right now, where there's a, a new surge of unionizing efforts at places like Starbucks. And a lot of people, I think, post-pandemic are being frustrated with the way that they have been treated at their jobs and are, are looking for other opportunities for themselves or... I don't know. I think labor relations is sort of on the mind right now. And that's why it was it was really cool to me to revisit, or not revisit, because I hadn't seen Silkwood before, but to finally you know, experience this movie and, and learn the story of Karen Silkwood, because she's a key figure in this labor movement in America. And there's a long history of making movies about people like this. And so even though it's, yeah, not the fastest moving movie, it's pretty slow, I, I ultimately was pretty moved by it. And I don't know. It just, it just worked for me in that way. Maybe part of the issue for me then is that it's so internal that, that a lot of this is just like that transformation going on inside of her where if I could have seen, cause she's also closing herself off from people like the, the, like the more, the more that she dislikes um, what's going on, the more that pressure is mounting on her. She's just, she, she becomes more isolated and I will. She even like, Loses weight over the course of the movie, yes, she does. which is something that Meryl Streep literally did while they were shooting the movie. Like she would, it's like I, I don't know how she did it. I hope she did it safely, but she she ends the movie skinnier than she began. So they're, they're also like visually showing that to us as well. I, I I liked when she was able to interact with Drew and Dolly. Dolly, who is just like I feel like a friend who's crashing with her, and Drew, who's her boyfriend. That we haven't mentioned them. So yeah, Dolly is played by Cher. Yeah, and, I feel like that was maybe part of the company culture. Just people would kind of, they would all crash together because, like, Karen, for example, came from Texas to get this job. And so maybe they're all just sharing expenses and, and living in sort of these company homes, like, near nearby the factory. But I, I don't know the full, you know, reasoning for, for that. So it's just, I, the more she gets isolated, the more that I'm not, I, 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 I lost interest in the movie. And it was in those times when she was able to say, when other people were like, talk to us, talk to us. And I'm like, yeah, talk to them because I want to see the, how, I want to see the external effects of what's going on inside of you. I mean, I think we are seeing that. And not, not just in her physical condition, but there's a period of time where Drew leaves and he goes to, he starts a new job. He gets a new place in a, a different town. She and, and Dolly have, like, they get into arguments and it, it culminates in one big fight. And, and Dolly, actually an interesting character. She's, that's not the name of the real person. They changed her name for the movie. But Dolly is actually a lesbian. And 
they just play that totally straight at a time when gay characters were not usually included in, in big Hollywood movies. And when they were, it was, they were in comedies or they were the butts of jokes and, or, or you know, the rare exceptions to the rule. And so pretty cool to see a person uh, from the LGBT community just fully included in a story like this with not much made of it. But we see the ways that Dolly's relationship with her girlfriend starts to cause tension between her and Karen. And, and we see the way that Karen's, like, her, her behaviors as the union rep gets a little, I would say, maybe aggressive or brash. And that, like we said, turns her co-worker's cold shoulder on her. And she loses those relationships that she has at, this very, at the very beginning of the movie. And... I guess I'm seeing it externally and I'm not sure why off putting or, you know, overthrowing the balance from the internal to external would have made this a better version of this story. I would have picked it up a little bit. It would have uh, put like literally more voices in front of the camera. It would have given me something more to, to direct attention to because attention span became just shorter and shorter for me. So it's, all right, let's to, let's yeah. yeah. I was just gonna say let's let's move on from this and let's talk about um, honestly the hallmark of this month, which is going to be the writing. So, what are some notable pieces that we picked out of this as we try to parcel through? I mean, some I, Nora Ephron's work. Yeah, I think there are so many scenes in here that sort of counter to what maybe your experience was with Silkwood Christian. I, I think there's so many scenes that maybe they don't zip along, but. You, I came to appreciate them just because of how good the writing was and how good the acting was. Um, and whether it's that scene where Dolly and Karen are fighting and they kind of finally have it all out. And they're just, they're, you know, they're in the throes of it. They're saying things to each other that they don't mean. They're trying to hurt each other. And eventually, you know, they end up outside. They share a, a seat on this porch swing and they end up just kind of laughing together again as Dolly kind of lets her emotion out. Uh, she had this uh, this relationship ended, and so she finally gets to let that out and, and connect with Karen. And I, I didn't write down any particular lines from that scene, but that was one that I found just totally effective. From the the swing from the the anger and the frustration of the fight into the reconnection and the softness uh, of the of the um, the bonding, I guess you can call it after where Dolly's is crying. Um, I did write down a couple of lines, but I'm, I'm curious if anything, you know, I want to pass it back to you if you had anything on your mind. There, there are a lot of moments where um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to come up with it. I liked the cafeteria scenes in the beginning, and and not necessarily just like as a notable part of the writing. There, there, there was this desire to like introduce you to the unique people who are within this world and show you that many, many different people are populating the same world. So it, it, it's, it's kind of like pointing that out. Outside of that, there is, um, I, and I'm, again, like writing is not directing, so I don't want to just like say ratchet up tension when some of that could just be length of camera shots and mood. But there is a very, very slow, we don't know really how much time is passing. It, 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 it's quite, it, I mean, occasionally they will say things, but the writers here every so often will change just one thing. Tension changes like one thing at a time to mimic real life. And when we get to When Harry Met Sally, as that is also done over various different stages, you know, 
it's not that the relationship at the center there is like from one scene to the next amazing, but slowly and surely. Uh, so I do think that that is important to know that we get a grasp on real life changes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, this, it's not clear exactly how much time is passing. It's definitely over a period of months or even potentially a year or two. I'm not sure the details of Karen Silkwood's life. But things do change slowly but surely. And, and I, that's why I was saying I think I find the, the slow pace in the beginning of the movie a strength because it does give us all of these touch points and then as things slowly start shifting, we understand why it matters so much. Um, but again, it's, if it didn't work for you, that's, that's what it is. Uh, I will say another scene that stood out to me was actually when Drew is sort of breaking up with Karen and he's packing up his stuff, getting in his car, and he's going to drive off. He's, I think he's going to stay with a friend at this new job he's got. And he has a couple, like Kurt Russell just has a couple lines here where he just absolutely crushes it. Um, one where he's looking at her, kind of looking at Karen longingly, and he just says, Sweetheart, it's like you're two people. <laughs> and again, really bringing to the fore this, this problem for Karen and that she is really struggling to sort of be the person she's always been while she's now deeply invested in this union uh, versus the company situation. And he even, he even ends that interaction looking at her because it's clear that they're, they're not necessarily breaking up because they hate each other. They're breaking up because he just, he's a little, he can't handle her, I guess, paranoia at this point anymore. He doesn't want to deal with the job even, so he's doing something he would rather do. But he's looking at her before he goes, he just says, I loved it, baby. Then he gets in the car and he, and he drives off. But just a great way to like end this relationship um, between two people. And um, thankfully, as people who have seen the movie or know history know, he, he does get, he comes back at the end and, and gets re-involved in her life. But um, just another couple great moments that I feel like Efron and Arlen really nailed that, that real dynamic while still making it like in movie land, you know? <laughs> like... Maybe someone doesn't have the, the wit to think, I loved it, baby, in the moment, but it's just such a great line. It, it, feels, it feels like he could have said it, and it, it works for me. I, I, and it's one of those where I wish I had gotten more of those. I, I wish in, there are like three people on this poster. No, there, I guess it depends on the poster, but there are three big names that are being given, but we're only really being given Meryl Streep. And I wanted more interactions with, with Russell and Cher. I, I, I did, because their dynamic and how subtle it is, and, and in, in a way in which subtle, the subtlety worked for me and how real it is, or how like they met um, Dolly's girlfriend for the first time, and I go, that's cool. Like The way that they're trying to be like, hey, this is the 80s, so this is weird for us, but yeah. also we're happy for you. <laughs> yeah, another, another line I did actually write down from that movie, where there's this, uh, again, a moment where the camera is really just holding on Drew and Karen, and there's, you know, Drew's at the kitchen making some breakfast, Karen's at the table, and they're just kind of talking to each other about the new girlfriend. Because they had sort of known that, that Dolly was obviously interested in women, but this may, it seems like it's the first time she's brought someone home. And so Drew is like, you know, I don't have a problem with it. And Karen says, I don't have a problem with it. And, and eventually gets to the, the line, so then why are we talking about it? Which is just a great way to involve an LGBT person in your movie without going away from board and being like, I think it's great and totally cool that Dolly likes other women and also not really coming down and, and making fun of Dolly just for the fact that she's gay or something like that. So then why are we talking about it? That's a great line that I feel like it can be used in a movie or a TV show today. 
Is there is there anything else that we should mention about this movie? I will say, I, I think I'm often the person who goes to bat for like style and camera work, and I go to bat for style. Well, sometimes Christian, but when it comes when it comes down to it, I think the the general trend on this podcast is you will be lost with a movie where it maybe doesn't have as strong of writing, in your opinion, and I will get lost with a movie that tends to lack style or. Uh, I really go for movies that have a lot of it, even in the face of bad writing. This, I, is, this is not bad writing. Not at all. No, no, no. But I, what I'm saying in terms of like style is it's a very reserved movie. Like you said, there's not a lot of music. Uh, very little, in fact. It comes in and you notice it because you're like, wait a second. What has this been? <laughs> this isn't just, you know, diegetic sound. And the camera itself does not move that much. They don't cut very often. It's not necessarily long takes, like they're not, it's not trying to be 1917 all over again, but just moments that really allow the actors to build their performances in these, these longer takes with fewer cuts between them. I'm sure if we went and, and looked back, there'd still be a hundred cuts, like, like a couple hundred cuts involved in the making of this movie, because they're making a two hour you know, plus movie, but very reserved style. And so... Be mindful, listeners. Like, if you're going to go check out Silkwood, that there is this paranoia element, but it's not like the paranoia thrillers of, like, the 70s, even the ones that were based in reality. Uh, very much a slow and reserved take on the life of Karen Silkwood. And the paranoia, as it builds, was impactful for me. Maybe not for you. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to touch on, but is there anything else for you, Christian, that you needed to get off your chest? It's fun to see a movie that Cher was in because I don't think I have. I've never seen Moonstruck. I I saw Moonstruck for the first time maybe in the last year or so, so this was fun for me too. It's a, you know, another go-around with Cher. It's also fun to see Kurt Russell. Young Kurt Russell, man. What a, what a hug. Uh, a hunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's, since, since Kurt Russell is definitely you know a movie star who has range, and getting to see a dramatic role outside of just the action or, you know, him as the, in a John Carpenter movie, or him as, like, the dad in Sky High, is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he, uh... Yo, Sky High is great. What a, what a great American film Sky High is. He, Kurt Russell, is giving a very laconic performance, very low energy, very just quiet, confident guy it seems and he's great and he's great yeah he's he's really really good here i'm i'm sad to say that he didn't get an oscar nomination like meryl streep and Cher did would have loved to see our guy kurt up there on the stage i don't think he's ever had an academy award he has never received the nomination from the academy yeah so obviously not the only marker of a successful career and he's had one of the best but yeah big fan of his the last thing i wanted to mention is just with the with the reserved nature of this movie, there is one key sound effect, or I guess two, that really, uh, I think their use here, because there's very little else going on outside of dialogue and, uh, and these sound effects really makes it like a spike when it happens in the movie. And that is that one, the people working with the plutonium at this plant are leaving their enclosed rooms. They have to scan themselves for radiation. And it's that little, Geiger kind of noise like that, like you you know what I mean when you hear it. And if they are contaminated and that thing catches them, then there's an alarm that goes off, and it is loud. This alarm, it is loud and ringing. And the couple moments 
where Nichols rolls that out are super effective. They are. Uh, especially later on in the movie when it's when things are really starting to spiral out of control and Karen is contaminated. Those moments, they, they hit you like a ton of bricks because this movie has been so quiet for the most part. So, uh, again, really effective use of the, the sound of the alarms and then the radiation um, scanners as well. Uh, my first Mike Nichols movie, actually. I haven't seen The Graduate yet. It's probably the other big one that many people have seen. I haven't anything until Silkwood, so I'm glad to finally get my toes in the water with one of the American greats here. Yeah. Uh, that's... Okay. That's that's Silkwood. That's Silkwood. Available at your local library, hopefully. 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 Recommendation for me, Christian, where are you at with that? No. No recommendation from Christian. He, no. He hates the working class. He wishes the laborers would just quiet down and accept what the rich people are giving them. If you get a little plutonium poisoning, that's okay. It's important to have a job. Is that what you're saying, Christian? That's what you're saying, Christian. That's where, that's where we'll take mm, that. I'm... Oh, so many... So many pathways forward for me. I'm trying to see... Um, which one... Should, do you want me to go for, like, a... Uh, no, I should go for, like, a Christian standard. A Christian standard? Yes, yes, like a, like a, definitely not my religion. The, 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 what I would say, what's very iconic of me to say. Which would be like, sure. Scott, (laughs) are you trying to put down the experiences of a minority? Ooh, that's not fair, Christian. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Come on. Put down the experiences of minority. Okay. <laughs> That's Silkwood, folks. Get it from your local library. Go find a DVD hidden away somewhere and buy it for hopefully not too many dollars. But we hope you do get a chance to check it out some way, shape, or form. Next week, our Nora Ephron and her Oscar-nominated screenplays Blend will continue. And Christian, that is going to be... When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, baby! Have you seen When Harry Met Sally? I have seen When Harry You did say that you, you've seen that. I am very excited to return to this movie. One that I did not check out when I was young or growing up, but I, I came to an adult life, and I'm a big fan of it, and I'm looking forward to unpacking it fully here on the show next week. When Aaron Sally was streaming on some places, I think, but is no longer now in the new year. But that one should be much easier to find via rental, uh, whether from Amazon Either from Amazon or another rental source, it should be much easier to find than Silkwood, thankfully. Yeah, and that's it. We're going to continue Nora Ephron, Soul Rider, on that movie. And, and she is. that one directed by Rob Reiner. Indeed, it is. So, folks, that is our show. And if you are still with us here at this point, we appreciate your support and your listening ears. Uh, we love to discuss these movies and put these discussions out there, knowing that there's people following along with us. And so, thanks so much for your support. There are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show. Number one, please do give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners there, and it warms our heart to see those five-star reviews coming in. So please do drop us a review uh, rating if you can. We appreciate it. You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. I will say, I have a, an idea for the February blend of the month that I think I'm going to need some listener feedback on, so it would be really sincerely great to receive that once we get to February, but 
even for now. We'd love to know your thoughts on Nora Ephron, if there's a movie of hers that maybe isn't part of the sort of holy grail of her movies, or maybe not the holy grail, but the, the few that are constantly rolled out as her best. If there's one that you like that's in that sort of second tier, we'd love to know it so we can check it out for ourselves. Or if you think one of us is totally wrong and you want to side with me or side with Christian about Silkwood, send an email. Again, it's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate the feedback. We're going to be talking about movies that you want to hear us talk about. So fire away. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, they did a Letterboxd wrapped for the previous year. Did you check yours out? Yes, I, I, I don't have Pro, so I can check out the the free version that they gave me. Well, I think they just, they just sent a little email with like how many movies you watched and then your most watched actor and director. That's all that I got, and I have the Pro version. Um, yes, I, I did get that. I'm curious to know who your, your actor and director were. My most watched actor of last year was Tom Cruise. Nice. My most watched director of last year was James Cameron. Hey, so was mine because we watched all of his movies at the end of the year. <laughs> we saw The Way of Water multiple times in theaters. And then my most watched actor was actually Nicolas Cage. Because when Makes we did sense. our Nicolas Cage Blend of the Month, I did a lot of homework. And I managed to watch 10 Nick Cage movies. And I watched nothing else that he was in after the month of May. But nobody else caught up to that. So <laughs> had a good time with my guy Nick Cage. And we both had a good time with Big Jim. Folks, thank you so much for listening along. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening? No. Nothing? No. Nothing at all? I'm hungry. Christian's hungry, folks, but he's going to go on a run, or at least that's what he told me before the podcast, so we'll see how that goes. Join your local union, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.